Welcome to the Carl Reader Show. Hello and welcome to the Carl Reader Show. And today I'm delighted to have an award-winning freelancer and the founder of the Young Money blog, Iona Bain. Iona, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Carl, for having me. Hey, no worries. So, Iona, tell us a little bit about yourself. So, in a nutshell, I talk about young people and their money. And what does that mean? Well, I write a blog. I also speak at events. I'm a journalist. I've written a book. And I do a little bit of consultancy, talking to financial firms about how they can be more youth-friendly. And I am an, an evangelical, evangelical, that's what you say, evangelical freelancer. So um, I've been freelancing on and off for seven, eight years now, and I can't really imagine going back to full-time work. And that's because I love the freedom and opportunities that, that freelancing presents. And I've managed to accomplish things and reach an audience that I never would have done in, in one fixed role. Um, but it also allows me to have a, a well-rounded life. So um, I was a musician, a full-time musician, okay. before I went into um, Young Money. And I still do a lot of music. I sing with a group called Independent Musicians Collective. Fantastic. We're doing a gig. Are you going to um, sing us a song? <laughs> oh, you'd have to pay me a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> Even more than I do for my Young Money work. But um, yeah, so, so I feel that, that freelancing allows me to have that well-rounded life um, that I can live to the fullest. Fantastic. Now, um, just to paint a picture for those listening on the podcast, we are um, currently sat in a, a a very musical studio, I think it's safe to say. Yeah, we've it's very got, apt. It's um, almost like you knew. It, it, well, exactly. We've got a drum kit behind us. Yeah. Uh, we've, yeah, we've got these big speakers. I wouldn't have a clue what to do with any of this stuff, uh, but I'm sure yeah. that this is... Um, this is part of the course for you. Um, tell us about the early days then. So as a musician, um, obviously, I mean, I, I'm always intrigued by by that world, in particular because the phrase gig economy that everyone uses actually comes from the musical world. That's true. I, yeah. I think that if you're a creative person, you are much more in tune with that mindset. Yes. And, and doing multiple careers comes more easily to you, not only because from a young age, you get it into your head that you're not going to be one type of musician. You're probably going to be many different types of musician. Um, and that's not just because it's practically advisable, but also creatively very fulfilling to yes. be like that. So I think from an early age, whilst I never had a very clear idea of what I wanted to do in life, I always thought it would be in music. Okay. And I always thought I would be pursuing different activities, composing, performing, and so on. And then when I left university, I studied music. I went back to Scotland. I'm from Scotland originally okay. and went down to England to study music. I decided to try and pursue music full time, also do some music journalism on the side to make some money. And that period, whilst it was incredibly tough and actually, you know, it had to come to an end and sure. I had to go down that path for me to realise that it wasn't for me. I didn't quite have the right personality to make it in the world of music. And it is so tough. I'm so admiring of my 
musical peers who can you know keep at it year in year out year in year out you know and often not get the recognition and success that they desire sure i found that incredibly frustrating for me personally and i wanted to move into a field where you know if you work hard and you've got good ideas then then that would be rewarded um maybe because i'm i'm a very egotistical person who knows <laughs> but um with, the, best of, the best of us are I, I suppose so i i suppose it's just a natural instinct that we all have yes um and you know unless you really really love something then you have to have that element of progress there to keep you motivated sure. so for me you know music wasn't actually the right fit for me in the end and when i you know decided i wouldn't be able to to carry on I switched careers and I decided to start writing about money and it was mainly because I knew nothing about money I was okay. clueless when it came to personal finance and although my dad used to be a personal finance journalist before he retired last year um, you know he didn't really talk to us that much about it he brought us up with a with a very frugal sensibility sure and he taught us to be careful with money but he never imposed a very financial way of life on us. You okay. know, he never made us feel like we ought to go down that path, me and my brother. But actually, I realized I really wanted to know more about it because I was in my early 20s. I'd just come out of university. I graduated into a very tough jobs environment. And I realized I was going to have mm. to learn this subject. Nobody was going to teach it sure. to me. And if I learned how to manage my money, then actually I could do an awful lot with it and I could um, be independent and not it was never about making lots of money that has never been my motivation but it's been about being self-sufficient and resourceful and that was what starting the blog and learning about personal finance meant to me and it still means that to me now okay so I'm gonna ask you a question which might come across as very rude but um, but it's not it's to understand this journey have yeah. you ever had a job I have yeah I actually when I switched careers I had a job working for a price comparison website to okay. actually learn about personal finance. Um, and since then, I've worked in uh, media trade titles. Sure. Um, so uh, I worked at a, a title owned by the Financial Times called Financial Advisor for the best part of two years. And I've had various jobs since then, although they have all ranged from one day to a year. Sure. <laughs> um, but I've, n I've never really been in a in a full-time position for for that long it's no. I, I think I so you're unemployable I think I am actually yeah I, and I think it's partly because I have quite a rebellious streak sure I've always never resisted authority for the sake of it because I understand rules when they matter and, and when they are there to protect people and 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 uphold a, a reasonable system but when I think that a system is there for the sake of it and others are just telling people what to do because it makes them feel powerful that's what i kick back against sure. and i think that's one reason why being self-employed has always appealed to me because um i'm just quite independent minded in that way and, and as a journalist as well you you learn how to question authority because that that's healthy about, have, that is journalism absolutely to have that healthy level of skepticism about authority in particular and big business that's what allows you to succeed as a journalist so sure. I think that fused with this independent spirit that I have in, in myself anyway means I was always going to you know favor freelance over anything else brilliant okay so we're going to come back to the journalist side sure. later on if yeah. that's okay yeah. because 
Um, for those listeners that don't know, you've done some amazing things in the press. Oh, thank you. Um, in particular, the Revolut Gate. Um, yes. Which, which <laughs> your, 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 your um, name and face seem to be absolutely everywhere that you turned. Yes. Um, but, but before we go on to that, so the blog itself, um, so you, you decided that the, um, the be, being in the music world wasn't for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you decided to get a side job whilst you start the blog. Mm-hmm. How was that journey of taking a blog from um, quite literally typing up some articles on a keyboard mm-hmm. to actually being a business in its own right? Um, how was that journey for you? That's a very good question. Um, I have had a very unconventional path. So when I started the blog, it was back when personal finance blogs weren't really a thing. Mm, apart from, I guess, Martin Lewis. Well, yes, yeah. Martin Lewis was was really um, flying the flag for that alternative yes. um, financial media, which was very influential. You know, I remember in 2011, um, you know, there, there was either the traditional financial press or there was Martin Lewis. Um, and it is really impressive what he has accomplished mm. there with Money Saving Expert. But I identified that in the market, there wasn't actually any personal finance coverage that was aimed at younger people. Yes. So I felt that, that I could really benefit from thinking about those issues and then writing about them in a way that would appeal to people sure. like me. So um, I, I just started the process of setting up a WordPress site like every blog begins, from very humble beginnings. Um, And then I kept it going and never made any money from it directly. And when the opportunity first presented itself for me to make money from it, I found myself at crossroads because actually it was about, I don't know, it's hard to put a date on it, but maybe three, four, five years after I'd set it up, Mm. that was when the um, direct advertising and marketing opportunities started coming my way. And I noticed other blogs and other websites were were taking advantage of those. But I also noticed that it was changing the nature of the content. Sure, and and I I guess it also, it raises a question of integrity and, um, you know, how how much it correlates to your message and is it it helping the message or not? how do you, when it comes to monetization, how do you determine what, what's a good route of monetization and, and what isn't? I think you have to understand fundamentally why you are doing what you are doing and not lose touch with your original intentions. And for me, it was always about taking an independent, journalistic uh, and social approach. And therefore, you have to keep advertising and commercial influences on your blog or on your website, you have to keep those at arm's length. Yes. And you have to find other ways and, and be creative about how to make a living outside that blog. Sure. That, that's my feeling. Uh, there, are, there are more than one ways. There is more than one way to do it. Yes. I understand that. Um, and I completely respect other people's right to make a living how they want because actually the internet has presented this incredible egalitarian opportunity for anybody to make money without mediation, um, without permission from authority. And that is very powerful, but I think it also introduces this huge temptation to chase pound signs. And for that then to dictate what the content should be. And the whole beauty and joy about the internet really ought to be that it is uncensored and it is unfiltered and that hopefully those with the right intentions can use that to create a movement and to create missions that have purpose. And that's what I realized I wanted to do with the blog. So I decided 
no, I'm going to keep the blog nonprofit. Fantastic. And however difficult that is, and, and even now, it's still very hard to make that work. But I, I can't imagine changing that fundamental position because actually... I, I love this. Yeah. Um, it's exactly what I do in my business space. And yeah. Um, yeah, I, I apologise for the listeners if this becomes a, um, a personal conversation rather than a podcast, <laughs> but hey, that's what a podcast is. Absolutely. Um, you know, for me, I mean, my my driving force in doing these podcasts, doing my book, you know, as you know, with books, you don't actually make money. No. Um, giving out all the content is because, you know, for me, there's so many people trying to make a quick buck. Absolutely. And actually, this is advice that should be taught within schools, within universities, mm. and provided to anybody later on in life. Um, it, it, it should be a fundamental thing that, that's out there already. Mm. It's not about making a few quid. So it's fantastic to see your passion with that. Mm. How do, so how do you turn um, the not-for-profit blog, which has clearly raised your profile, mm. into, a, um, into a commercial business that can pay your way? Well, I say that the blog is subsidised by all the other activity that surrounds it sure. and, and that the blog generates. Um, so that means that you do have to, first of all, understand your value and assert that value, um, which I haven't always been very good at doing, sure. but I have got much better at it in recent times. Because actually, especially when you are powered by that non-profit mission, you can you can rest easy knowing that if you go to a commercial enterprise of any sort, obviously if it's a charity, it's a different story, and I do a lot of pro bono work mm. still. But if it's a, a commercial enterprise, you can rest easy knowing that asking them for a fee and asking them to remunerate you for the work that you provide, that is a fair transaction. Uh, and to allow them to treat you in any other way is, is just... Um, you know, it's it's sanctioning exploitation. Sure. So I um, have got much better at, um, you know, asserting my value within the market for other activities such as speaking, which is not easy because yes. actually a lot of um, scenarios I go into, um, it's funny actually, I've noticed that, um, especially in the financial industry, they're, they're not used to dealing with self-employed um, talents. Yes. Um, and suppliers and therefore they don't really know how to handle people who fall into that category and you're having to rewrite the rules all the time. So often when I go and speak at an event in the financial industry, I might be the only self-employed person on that bill for the whole day or even the whole week if it's an extended event. So you have to really educate them about the realities and the, the new ways of making money and, and, and establishing yourself as a, as, a, as a brand and a business. Sure. So there's the speaking, there's the journalism, there is some of the consultancy work that I do, although you have to keep that in check as well because I never wanted to set up my business so that I could then go and get the absolute highest paid consultancy work I could get my hands on. Yeah. If it's a business that I think genuinely shares my values and wants to reach that young audience and has a product and service that will help them, then by all means, I'm, I'm happy to play my part in, in getting out there. But if I think that, that they're paying lip service or they're maybe piggybacking on the Young Money mission in mm. some way, then that goes against a lot of the slightly rebellious sure. beliefs that I hold. And um, that would be me totally selling out. So it's a constant balancing act, but you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. Fantastic. And obviously we came across each other through Ipsy. Yes. Um, 
so I serve as an ambassador for Ipsy, but far more importantly, um, you were the award-winning freelancer of the year. Yeah. So tell us about that experience. It was a very surreal experience from start to finish. I entered because a former editor of mine who has been a wonderful role model and mentor to me, um, she encouraged me to apply. Okay. And you just come across those people, I'm, I'm sure you know them in, in your work life, who make a huge impact on you and, and leave a huge impression on you. And because I value her expertise and wisdom so much, she's one of these very emotionally intelligent people. Can I ask her name? Yes. I her think it's important to shout absolutely. out. Absolutely. Yeah. Shout out to Simone Kiriakou, who is my former editor at um, Financial Advisor, the best boss I ever worked Fantastic. for. Fantastic. So she said to me, why don't you apply for this award? She sent the link in an email and I thought, well, I'll do it because there's nothing to lose. I don't sure. have to pay to enter um, and the most I have to give up is 15 minutes of my time to submit an entry. And actually reminding myself of what I had achieved with the Young Money blog was in and of itself quite a positive, feel-good experience. So once I'd made the application, I forgot about it and thought, well, that's fine, you know, you, you, you can't, um, you have to be in it to win it. So I was gobsmacked to find out I was shortlisted. And then awards are such a bizarre, um, such a bizarre phenomenon because they mean everything when you win and nothing if you don't. Yes. And, and it takes a long time for you to get them into perspective because whilst they do have significance for your career when you win, there are plenty of other people out there who are of absolute equivalence to you absolute. who won't win awards and will go on and be incredibly successful and happy regardless. So I think you just learn to get them in perspective. And for me, I realized all the other candidates were so strong, I just knew it was not going to be me. So when I heard my name being called out at the ceremony, I couldn't get over it. Fantastic. And since then, I suppose the main issue for me has been how do I use that opportunity to get my message out there more um, and it's not just about self-promotion and I think that that's that's a myth that I really would like to try and um, bust as freelancers we do have to promote ourselves and mm. we do have to assert our value but we also shouldn't be in it just for our own self-aggrandizement yes. obviously we need to have a sense of purpose and my sense of purpose is as you said before when Personal finance is not taught in schools to young people, and yet it is perhaps the most complicated but important issue that we'll all have to think about constantly in our lives that will ultimately dictate everything that we do. Then, why can't we have people out there who are commenting, thinking, writing about it in an intelligent, measured, helpful way? Yes. Um, and that's my role. So that's what I've tried to and use you, my and you, need, and you need your personal profile as well to give you the platform and the opportunities to deliver this message. It's true. It's true. You just have to um, guard against you overtaking that message yes. too much. Um, and especially because I'm a young woman and I think that that is... Um, that's significant, it's symbolic in a way that you have a young woman talking about personal finance. You don't, you don't see it that often. I actually hear quite a lot in my industry about women really shying away from those public roles. And I completely understand why, because we have quite a brutal online culture now. And if you get involved in any controversies or raise your head above the parapet, you've got to have the skin of a rhino oh, yes. just to get through. Um, and I think a lot of women ha have been used to maybe keeping their heads down sure. and, and not being too vocal and too out there. 
But what I would say is having been through some of those experiences and having been at it the rough passes. end. It passes, absolutely it passes. And you know what, in the end actually, not only are you stronger, but you are out there more and whatever you are championing, whatever you love and whatever you really believe in, that has got out there more. Absolutely. And it's the most horrific 24, 48 hours. Yeah. But once it's gone, yeah. the phone stops buzzing and it's yeah. an amazing relief. Absolutely. You just have to establish certain rules about how you're going to yes. deal with it and, and process it. And, and for me now, especially online, I've completely reconfigured my whole approach to social media in the last few mm. years. I took the rather unorthodox step of muting everybody on Twitter. So I didn't unfollow them. I just muted them. I've done the same. It's amazing. Yes. The voices in my head stopped. It was wonderful. And I might unmute people again, especially those that are useful you know for my kind of information circuit yes. but actually I think you have to get it in in real perspective and you have to keep it in its box definitely and um, always remember you can never change opinions in 140 no. characters that's absolutely true that's <laughs> as absolutely much as we true. try absolutely true and you've got to know you know this is where I am strong this is where I am informed this is where I am respected in some quarters so here's where I'm going to express a, a, an informed view and try to make a difference and everything else that's out there in the world I can take a personal view about that but you know what no one gives a shit about that personal absolutely. opinion am absolutely. I allowed to swear of course you are of course you are <laughs> I never checked <laughs> I have, I have, to be honest, I haven't checked the responses. Okay. I'm, sure, I'm sure it'll be fine. So um, I'm just going to have one last question before we go on to the rapid fire questions. Sure, sure. And we touched on it earlier, which was about the, um, I guess, the Revolut storm. Yes. You know, um, so the personal profile and social media ties in very nicely with PR. Yes. Um, I'm actually, I'm actually going to offer two questions, if that's okay. Sure. First of all, if you can talk to us a little bit about your recent PR activities. Yeah. Um, but then to follow on with any tips that you've got, so any golden nuggets for somebody who wants to improve their profile and engage with the press. Wow, okay. Um, starting with what happened with Revolut? I, I think so. Okay. Well, I um, found myself at the centre of a, of a social media storm by accident because I tweeted about some adverts that were put out by Revolut. Um, I'm sure some of your listeners will already know this, so apologies if you know this already, but um, essentially I took issue um, with uh, a Valentine's Day advert that Revolut had put out on the London Underground that said to the 12,750 single people who ordered a single takeaway last Valentine's Day, are you okay, hun? And I, I thought that the tone was completely ill-judged, but also that actually the advert sent out a very worrying message about what fintech companies do with our data. Yes. And it later turned out that it was a very misleading message as well. Mm. Um, and that's why after I raised the profile of this advert, the Advertising Standards Authority got involved and then passed it on to the Financial Conduct Authority to investigate. Wow. And it became a front page story on the Financial Times. So what started out as, as a tweet about an advert that you know, I I really felt was obnoxious on so many levels, ended up with this pretty big story about a company's culture as well as their marketing. Mm. Um, and then I think it, it encouraged other journalists to look at that company uh, more closely and see what, what they could find out too. So it, it really did start a very, very intense period where on the one hand, I got a huge amount of support. In fact, most of the messages I got from people 
backed me in, in my um, objections, but then I also had a lot of criticism from people who maligned me as a snowflake. And anyone who knows me knows I'm far from a snowflake. I have a very robust, healthy sense of humor, but what I don't take lightly is misleading people about their data sure. um, and spreading um, false messages and indeed making single people feel awful about mm. their, their life choices. I think that's just really backwards and um, unprogressive. So having you know done those tweets, what I would say is that you cannot calculate Twitter fame. You cannot possibly make it happen. You yes. can't contrive it. It just happens or it doesn't happen. But it has to come from a bedrock of informed analysis and confidence. And the only reason I think people took my tweet thread seriously was because I wasn't some random snowflake, because I wasn't some social justice warrior. It is because I've been writing the Young Money blog for seven eight years now uh, and I have been talking about a lot of these issues in serious forums in the financial industry but also combining that with you know a, a mass market message around personal finance literacy so when the company tried to kind of get in on this snowflake bashing agenda they had a huge backlash because people said no you picked the wrong lady yes. <laughs> you really did and it was quite weird because you know I also you know, then got some whistleblowing tweets um, about uh, the company's internal Slack board. And, you know, I was told by the company to take them down. And I did it first, but actually in the end, it turned out that this was part of a pattern of them really trying to silence and suppress any bad publicity. Mm. So it ended up creating an even bigger story than it needed they, to. They've certainly, um, with their internal culture, I think it's safe to say they haven't done themselves any favors over the no. last year or so. No, and I think now we are starting to see the signs of them U-turning on that and realizing, you know what, we we had it wrong. And when we, you know, doubled down and, and really became defensive in the aftermath of the original controversy, looking back now, I think they understand that that was the wrong approach to take. Yes. We all know, we all learn from these experiences um, and there was nothing ever personal about it. Um, but when anything goes online, it can very quickly become personal. And you just have to then establish those rules. Don't feed the trolls. Don't get personal. Don't get nasty. Keep it professional. Keep it polite. That's what I've always tried to do. Fantastic. Iona, you can breathe a sigh of relief now. We're going on to, <laughs> <laughs> we're going on to the quick fire question. Oh, no. I don't know if I can breathe a sigh oh, of relief. You will be, you will be absolutely Quite, fine. Okay. So these are um, deliberately designed just to give a bit of an insight to you as a person. Okay. Um, it's so that the listeners can paint a picture in their own mind of who Iona really is, okay. um, but also to extract any nuggets of um, wisdom or something that you've picked up along the way. Okay, wow. Okay. It sounds like Chinese waterboarding or something. <laughs> <laughs> so the, f the first one, and this is the first one that I ask all guests, okay. is if you were to create a mastermind group with three other people around the table, so these could be anybody dead or alive, fictional or non-fictional, um, but people whose um, opinions you would value, who you would listen to, and who, who you'd enjoy just spending some time with, who would you choose? Wow, okay. That's, that is, that's going to be a really tricky question to answer. Um, the uh, lead singer from The Pretenders is the first lady that springs to mind. Okay. Um, because she strikes me as being completely independent, free-spirited, and doesn't give a damn about, you know, being too, uh, being too behoven to rules. And I think that having somebody like that in a group would really, um, 
would really inspire us all to, to just be more out there and sure. think more creatively. Um, so who else? I think that somebody else who would be really interesting to speak to would be Helena Morrissey, who um, she is head of personal, she's head of personal investing, I think now at Legal and General, but she's held a number of very senior city positions throughout her sure. career. Um, and obviously has been a huge champion for uh, diversity within the financial industry. Um, but I really like her message of soft power and the fact that you, if you want to be successful as a woman, you shouldn't necessarily fit into the existing power structures that were created by men in order to do that. Mm. Um, it's really a bit of a rejection of the Sheryl Sandberg way of thinking. Sure. You know, leaning in is, is not the way to do things. Changing the system is what we really need. So I think that she would be a pretty kick-ass lady to have around the table as well. Um, and then I have to say, I know it's, I know she's, um, she's, she is a pretty classic kind of figure, especially within the world of feminism. But I do think Gloria Steinem still has a lot to tell us all about self-esteem and confidence. Sure. And actually, I read her book, um, Revolution from Within, last year, um, and she, um, you know, made me think about self-esteem and where it comes from um, in a totally new light. You know, as, as a woman in my late twenties. Um, I, I found the message incredibly powering. So I think the combination of those three women sat round would make an incredible brains trust. Chrissy Hindley, that's the name of the lady Fantastic. from The Pretenders. <laughs> her name just escaped me. I thought, how could I forget her name? She's a legend. But we've got it now. Excellent. What is the book that you've given away the most to other people, uh, but you can't include any of your own? No, no. Um, hmm. That's, that's, that's a really interesting question. Um, I was very, very taken with the marshmallow experiment by Walter Michel. Okay. So Walter Michel was um, the professor at uh, Stanford, I think, who devised the marshmallow experiment. The idea that, you know, if you delay gratification and if you show signs that you are able to do that early on in life, then later on in life you'll be healthier, wealthier and, sure. more, and more functional. And he wrote a whole extended book about that experience and all the life lessons it taught him. And it was just a fascinating insight into behavioural science and psychology. Um, and I read it around the time that I was researching my first book and it totally flipped my thinking about finances because up to that point, everything I'd taken in was about products and sure. services because that's what we're all taught to, to understand and know about personal finance. If we ever take an interest in it, that's what we're, we're, we're told we need to think about. But this, this book told me that it's about your behavior and your relationship and your attitude to money um, and understanding how your brain reacts to money and that it can react in these very irrational, bizarre, self-sabotaging ways. And that unless you acknowledge it, then you're never going to be able to manage it. You won't ever completely overcome those impulses, but you can at least learn how to manage them over time. So I think his book has been incredibly influential and I gave it away to quite a few people. Fantastic. So the next question is, what is the one bit of advice that you would give to yourself, let's say 10 years ago? Um, to not worry as much about the future. I think I was very neurotic. Um, I would, um, I, I would really, really care about what other people thought about me as well. And I would think that that had a huge impact on my future prospects and my future happiness. And if I'd have known how 
much I would move on and change and evolve in 10 years and that I would be in a completely different place in my life now to where I was 10 years ago. I just relaxed a lot more and enjoyed the journey back then and enjoyed what my life experienced then more and, and lived more in the moment and, and not being quite so uptight. But Fantastic. that's easier said than done, I know. It is, it is. <laughs> um, so the final one, what is the best purchase that you've made in the last six months or so for around 50 quid? Um, you know, we're, we're talking lower end purchases that has made a quantifiable difference to your way of life or? That's a, that's a good question. Oh, okay. I can think of smaller purchases. That... But that, that's absolutely fine. So the, yeah. the idea of this is anything that's, we want an amount that's accessible and that people won't have to save up too much for. Yeah, sure, But sure. can make a real immediate impact. So to give you some context, I've had a guest say that there's a little plastic device that he clipped on his nose to stop himself snoring. <laughs> right, okay. Okay, so it could okay. be as simple as that. <laughs> oh, it could be an app on your phone, it could be anything. Okay. Um, this is going to sound very mundane, um, but it is a concealer. <laughs> okay. Uh, it is a concealer that has finally, you know, allowed me to feel confident in my skin. Um, people who are listening may not know that I am a very, very pale redhead and always As have been. Uh, well, there we are, <laughs> it's peas in the pod. And, um, you know, ever since I was young, I, I felt chronically insecure in my own skin. Um, and doing quite a lot of high profile uh, media activity now, it can bring back a lot of that self-conscious self-doubt. Um, and therefore, for me, feeling presentable and, and feeling polished, but obviously not, you know, fake, still looking like myself, still feeling like myself, still being authentic in my own skin. But nonetheless, you know, not just rolling out of bed. <laughs> I feel that's really important for my self-confidence and, and, it, and it helps really carry me forward in what I do and it, and it equips me to, to take on the intellectual challenges of my work. So finding concealer <laughs> that I could wear that did not make me look like an Oompa Loompa was a big turning point. And it's 20 pounds and it's more than I would normally pay for any kind sure. of makeup as a frugal personal finance. So we have, we have to give the brand a shout out. We do, it's NARS um, okay. and it's, it is a fantastic brand. And the one complaint I have is I wish they would make the tubes bigger so that I can get more <laughs> out of them, for goodness sake. Come on NARS, get on it. Fantastic. Iona, it's been an absolute pleasure. Where can the listeners find out more about you? Um, so you can check out my blog. It's called youngmoneyblog.co.uk. Um, I am also on Twitter. I'm at Iona Young Money. Um, I'm on Instagram and YouTube. Don't use those channels quite as much. Um, but yes, if you type my name into Google, you'll, you'll find me very quickly. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you, Carl. Thank you for listening to The Carl Reader Show. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and tell your friends. This podcast was brought to you by our sponsor, D&T Advisory, helping you unlock the magic in your business by adding value, not numbers. Find out more at www.team-dt.com. QuickBooks, helping UK small businesses stay on top of their finances.